Hello, this is Gail and Catherine, and we're stopping by to invite you to a special online event on February 15th from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central Time. Women Over 70's Aging Reimagined Circle is featuring Rebecca Seib, the well-known podcaster, author, and activist. Rebecca will guide us in an interactive discussion using her new book as a jumping-off point. Make her story your story your guided journal to justice every day for every woman. This is a free event. To register, just send an email to info at womenover70.com or visit our website for details. We hope to see you there. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And welcome to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. Be sure to visit womenover70.com and make a donation. Join Aging Reimagined Circle and visit the Books for Women section. Invite us to conduct a workshop or speak to your organization. We share relevant clips from podcast guests and offer numerous programs to enrich women's lives. And today we're very excited to be talking with Jill Stewart, age 70 from Oak Park, Illinois. She's enjoying a second career in teaching public relations and writing at DePaul University. Back in 1986, Jill founded a full service firm devoted to issues that matter. For over 20 years, the Stewart communications team served clients on assignments ranging from improving end of life care and planning to affordable housing, to fire retardant building materials, all with the common theme of providing targeted audiences with important information that would enhance and influence their daily lives, their well-being, or their business decisions. Jill recently teamed up with her husband, Dave, also a communications specialist, on a challenging project called Hidden History, Understanding the Origins of Racial Inequity. And Jill and Dave were not quite high school sweethearts, but they were co-editors of the high school newspaper, and they've been married 41 years and friends for 56 years, and they have two adult children. So welcome, Jill, to Women Over 70. Thank you, Catherine, for inviting me. We're delighted to have you. So, Jill, let's start with how you transitioned from managing a multi-million dollar communications business to teaching full-time at a college. DePaul. Yeah, that was certainly an unexpected turn of events in my life. Uh, I was, we were managing a major grant that was ending, and we had been doing work for a healthcare foundation for quite a number of years. And as we were winding down, I was just wanting new challenges and new opportunities. And DePaul had just opened up the College of Communications. So I was encouraged to apply by my friends, not by the university, but by my friends. And I did. And I had just finished up a master's with the School for New Learning, as you know. And I just never dreamed I'd have the opportunity to teach at the college level. And frankly, I was kind of terrible at first. But DePaul has so many resources to help you become a better teacher that I was able to take advantage of a lot of those. Uh, did you, uh, am I remembering that you received a Teaching Excellence Award? I did. Yes, thank you. Um, that was thanks to a summer course 
I took right before I began teaching full time. And it just changed my framework about how to interact with students and how to respect learning differences and, and just generally how to approach things in a more dynamic way rather than, you know, lecture assignment. It was much more engagement and involvement of the students themselves. Was that facilitating adult learning through the Educating Adults program? It was. It certainly was. It was a summer program uh, taught by Bruce and Jim. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes. So you. Uh, so how long have you been doing this, the teaching? I started teaching in January of 2008. And, and I was terrible, as I mentioned. And I knew it, that's for sure. And so I, I, I wrote a memo to our then assistant dean and said, you know, here are all the ways I was terrible. And here are the things I would like to do differently. And we sat down and he was, he was pleased with my attitude and gave me an opportunity to teach a writing class, which turned out to be a really good fit. And I spent that summer preparing the class, learning from what I didn't know before, and just generally getting myself up to speed on, on how to teach writing. What appeals to you about, about teaching your craft of writing and I know those other areas to um, undergraduate and graduate students? What, what keeps you doing that? There, there were a couple of things. Writing is such a fundamental skill in public relations and communications in general. You have to be a good presenter. You have to be good at research. You have to be good at writing. And so if you don't have that skill in your portfolio, it's going to hold you back. And I get to see with undergrads and both grads progress. They come in knowing a certain amount and having certain uh, you know, tendencies or things that they, they could do better. And over the course of the time I spend with them, which is generally 10 weeks, but sometimes it's shorter, I can point out really easy things for them to do differently. And then they can take it on themselves. My, my attitude is I, I get to spend a limited amount of time with you, which is 10 weeks, two and a half months. And now I'm going to give you a toolkit of things that is going to put you on the path to being a lifelong learner because you can continue to become a better writer, editor, proofreader throughout the course of your, of your career. So I, I, love see, I love seeing their progress. I can imagine. And do, do you hear from, from students who, who, uh, later on about impact that, that this has had on them, on their lives? Yes, I, I do. And, and in a funny way, I, I had a class last spring of, of grad students in the College of Communication. And I was at an event in November when it still seemed safe to go to public events. And, mm-hmm. and this small gaggle of women, maybe four or five of them came up and wanted to meet me in person. And I thought, what's going on here? And they said, oh, we remember we met you last time last year in, in our class. And, and they all had examples of what they were doing differently. Uh-huh. And I, it, it was like having a tiny little fan club, which was somewhat embarrassing, but also wonderful to hear that they, <laughs> they felt that strongly. Yeah, very gratifying. Very. So uh, let, let's just go back a, a bit um, to the, the, your uh, communications business firm. And I, I'm really interested in that your full-time work, as you said, had said to me, focused on issues that matter. And I'm wondering what influenced you to build a socially minded business? Why that approach? It was a bit happenstance. I had had uh, 
experience at corporations and agencies, and I had done typical client work where we promoted products or events, and that was fine. It didn't excite me, but it was fine, and it paid the rent. But when I started my own business, I just found myself drawn to things that were more socially conscious, particularly healthcare. My my first mm-hmm. major client was an uh, a health a healthcare association, and that gave me exposure to that world, organized medicine in particular, and and it was sort of the beginning of the AIDS crisis. And mm. so, so there was a lot of energy and effort and research around that. And, and I always believed the communications could play a vital role in, in conquering. I, that's, that's too strong a word in, in tackling um, mm-hmm. the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Are there other, can you give us other examples of, of, of projects that you were involved in that you're kind of especially proud yeah, of or, or. We, we spent more than a decade on communications around improving care at the end of life. Mm. And that can be a scary topic for people. Um, I think as a culture, we've come a long way in terms of talking about it more openly, but we were building on a piece of research, actually a series of research studies that proved that showed that physicians weren't listening to nurses or patients uh, families weren't being heard when their loved one was near the end of life. A lot of excessive treatment was given that was mm-hmm. not wanted or understood or even needed, and it certainly didn't extend or improve the end of life. And this was kind of a big issue. Um, as you may recall, in the, I guess, late 80s, early 90s, Jack Kevorkian was going around with his bit of business, which, which was frightening and, and really misplaced. And and there were just a lot of movements to how can we improve this? The physicians were looking at their own behavior and their communication skills. The nurses were feeling um, not listened to. Families were certainly not happy. And and people were dying. I think the quote was dying alone, um, hooked up to machinery Mm -hmm. in in pain. And the, the medical community said, well, we can do this better. And so we were in that for a dozen years. And one of the most exciting parts of that was when Bill Moyers did a four-part series on the topic mm-hmm. um, in 2000, which, you know, because of his name and, and his skill was able to really bring a spotlight to the topic. Bill, I yeah. know that you also uh, have done some work in affordable housing. You want to just tell us a little bit about that? Just a, a little bit. There was an organization here in Chicago that, um, was focused on that and they hired us to do some events and, and it opened my eyes to the notion that, you know, every social problem kind of has a way of mushrooming. Well, there's, there's affordable housing that we have to think about, but we also have to think about good schools. We have to think about safety. Every, every social ill is kind of interconnected with every other one. Mm -hmm. And, and so we found that we really liked to be in those arenas because we liked the people and their mission and what they were trying to accomplish, whether it was sole focus or whether they were working more uh, organically and, and interconnectedly with some of the other nonprofits in, in the area. Makes sense. Sure. A full service firm. I'm, I'm just kind of getting a glimpse into what all the, the variety of services that you 
provided or different ways that you were involved in this, these movements. Give us a sense of all of the variety of things that you actually could do in your, through your firm. We never said we were, um, we, we did a lot of events, but events mm-hmm. often entailed other kinds of services, whether it was writing, uh, web copy development, uh, uh, the, the business itself, I, I would say phased out, the, the larger business phased out when I started teaching. And mm-hmm. so we didn't go too deeply into the web, which is really where the entire public relations business exists these days. Mm-hmm. But whatever clients needed, we would either bring on the capability or we would have it ourselves and we would flex into serving what their particular needs were. So when you say full service, um, you, you don't want to claim a, a large, large piece of territory, but you also don't want to be a, a, seen as a niche business. Mm-hmm. You want to be, be able to, to do more than, than one skill or one pony trick. <laughs> one trick pony. I like that. Yeah. We were right. more than a one trick pony. <laughs> um, so I know that you've put mo- so much of your energy into teaching, uh, but at, at the same time, you and your husband, Dave, just finished a really uh, incredible project. I, I I was able to watch all these the series or listen to the series. So tell us about the hidden history, understanding the origins of racial inequity, and how did that come about? Uh, I'm so glad you you were able to see and hear that. Uh, we were we were very pleased with the opportunity to do that. I had been working with someone in Southwest Michigan for quite a number of years on healthcare disparities, and she ran for city council and in in Southwest Michigan and was elected in her town. And the mayor of the town was a history buff. And as things were unraveling during the early parts of COVID and then George Floyd, he said, people don't even understand what has happened in this country. They they don't have a good grasp of history. And so they came to us, well, they actually came to me and said, could you do this? And I thought, oh, this is a big assignment and I'm just (laughs) one, one person. And I knew Dave had the capacity and I also knew we would work well together um, you mentioned that we were high school co-editors. Mm-hmm. And so our working relationship was established many, many years ago. And and he has certain skills and expertise that I rely on. And I have more of the project management side of things. And I so I said to the client, you know, I was, you know, this is my husband. This isn't some guy off the street that I've some freelancer. I said, this, you're gonna get two for the price of one. I need help doing this. And they understood mm. that. And, and so we worked together to figure out kind of the arc from slavery through the Emancipation Proclamation, through the early years of, of the 20th century, uh, kind of the story of slavery and, and the story of what's happened since then. And we've, we loved it. We, we really enjoyed working together and on that topic. And we also felt we had barely scratched the surface because mm-hmm. there's so much that is not being taught. And this was even before critical race theory had become a hot button issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was um, I was a little embarrassed to 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 learn about what the Constitution, how the Constitution actually has supported supported slavery. I mean, there's just so much 
in our history that came out in your series that uh, about the origins of the of the racial inequity. And I thought it was just um, uh, ex excellent, excellent series. Is that available for people to to watch? I am pretty sure that it is. I believe it has been archived. I would I would want to double check. I think though that it is on YouTube. Mm, and, mm -hmm. and get a link for that and and make that available if anybody would be interested in the show notes. Yes, that would be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, there was a book called The uh, um, Creating the Post Office, Post Office System of America. And the, the, the whole idea of it is that you have all these people moving, you know, from east to west, and there had to be a way for communication. And I'm thinking about it as you're talking. And of course, the issue of slavery came up and, and how slaves were used to run these ponies. So mm. uh, there is just so much in it. I, it really sounds very rich, Jill. We, no. we had been to a slavery museum in South Carolina, which gives you an idea of what our idea of fun is in, on vacation. <laughs> but I thought, you know, maybe the, everybody needs to go to this. If you don't go through there and get a sense of what people went through and, and what was done to them, you, it, it's a, it was a life-changing afternoon. And then, and then we also had the opportunity to go to the African-American Museum in Washington, D.C., which mm -hmm. is enormous. But even the little tiny one in, in South Carolina opened our eyes in a way that I, I think people are, are just avoiding. It makes them uncomfortable. And, and so they, they just don't pursue it as an area of study or knowledge. Do you plan to do any sort of a follow-up with this project? Uh, not us per se. Although I just said to Dave, if somebody asked me to do it, I, you know, a follow-up, I'd like say yes in a heartbeat because we really did enjoy it. But, but the follow-up that we had planned, we had hoped after, after uh, COVID to kind of drive south and, and see the museum that Brian Stevenson has set mm -hmm. up and, and do mm -hmm. a little, just a little bit more in the actual uh, geography of, of where some of these things took place. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. that'd be great. Yeah, I hope you. I hope you can do that. Um, I want to just switch gears a bit, and um, you know, you just turned seventy, so I've been teasing you along the way that we've been waiting for you to grow up, you know, to be seventy, so we can have <laughs> you as a guest. And yeah, uh, and and you have been uh, a strong supporter of women over seventy from when Gail and I were first talking about the idea, and and have been, a, as you said today earlier, a cheerleader. I would say an ambassador, um, maybe, or even our agent. But so what, why does this matter to you? Why does this whole enterprise of women over 70 matter? And what's in it for even well, younger women? I mean, st start with the people who are involved with it. When you told me about it, I was excited immediately for you because I thought it was so much in your wheelhouse and, and you have this amazing network. I knew Gail through a class and, and many, many years ago. And I knew, I know Christine, your producer through um, a project that I've, I've been working on. So I was just excited for the people. I thought, wow, what an, what an interesting idea. I also thought that nobody was doing this in this space, frankly. And, and I, when I listen to your podcasts, I feel as though I've made a new friend. 
Mm-hmm. And, and you, you hear all these interesting people and interesting lives. And, and I also happen to love the podcast format because it's a longer interview conversation. You know, we, we watch talk shows and late night stuff and, and it's five minutes mm-hmm. and, and there's just no depth there. And it's always promotional. It's always pushing a movie or a book or some other type of project, which is fine. You know, it is what it is. But if you long for a deeper understanding of the person in their lives, their life, then a podcast is just such a perfect uh, platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what, what, what do you think would, because I've heard you say before that you think that younger women, not just women over 70, but younger women would find this of value. And why is, what, what do you think about that? You know, as, as I revisit that idea, I think it would be individual. There's just some people who are interested in talking to people older than themselves, you know, kind of kind of the old soul who, who likes to just listen to people talk and sits around the kitchen table or the dining room table <laughs> while, while the old people tell their old stories. I, you know, we rely on our moms to a certain extent, but we don't always have that person who's a generation ahead of us or even more forging a, a, a new reality or telling us what to expect or, or helping us understand what's happening. So I, I think younger women would, would benefit from it, but it, but it would take a certain kind of person who's curious mm-hmm. and, and e- eager to learn from others. True. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yes. Yes. We do have some audience we know of uh, women under 70 for sure. And so hopefully we they are gaining from listening to all of the guests. You you get something different out of out of each guest. It there there's just always so you know, some people have this spirit, they're they're just so fun to listen to. Some have done these amazing things that you think, wow, that's incredible. Some have with I'm telling you your own stories. Some have withstood <laughs> incredible adversity. It, it, it's always fascinating. <laughs> yes. Thank you. So let's talk about you. You're, um, I don't want to overdo this notion that you've turned 70, but you have turned 70. I think you're still teaching, but are you still teaching full-time or are you on part-time now? I'm part-time, which is very nice. It's, it's much more manageable because you know, you know, better than I do a full-time teaching schedule is quite demanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would like to have some flexibility to travel, of course, when we're not under under a pandemic shutdown. Um, But I'm also doing some some writing workshops, which is proving to be fun. And I'm doing a little bit of volunteering and, you know, I'm just kind of dabbling. I, I, you know, on on turning, it wasn't so much turning 70 as it was retiring. That Mm -hmm. was an eye opener. And we prepare when it comes to retirement so carefully if if we're able for financial well-being but i i don't know that we know what it's like not to have the purpose that has guided our lives previously whether it's raising a family or whether it's working or you know whatever else is is going on when you step back from that at least i've had to to try to figure out what really matters and, mm-hmm. and what is exciting and interesting to do. And what's the process been like for you? Is it, is it exciting? Is it scary? Is it <laughs> hopeful? 
What's it like? It's bumpy. It's been bumpy. (laughs) Um, I seem to do better when I'm working. So I think I like the structure of work. Mm -hmm. Uh, I certainly love being with students when I'm teaching. Uh, I like the creative challenge of putting together a workshop that I think will solve, not not necessarily solve, but address a client's needs. I I just kind of like the balance of some work and some play. And Mm -hmm. certainly being retired does allow more play, which I was never particularly good at. That's what Um, I wanted to ask you. Was there, is, is there such a thing as balance? I, you know, is it a day-to-day balance or is it, you know, what, I don't know, Gail, I I think different people would define it differently and, and how they want to spend their time and what demands they have on their time force them to kind of figure out their own reality. So for you, is there, is there such a thing as balance, do you think? Um, Yeah, I, I think since, since retiring, I, I have pulled back on work, which, which is good. And I do have a little bit more time for, for, you know, friends and my husband and, and some other little projects that I'm dabbling with. I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed work a great deal, particularly teaching. And I had a lot of autonomy and it was, it was gratifying. I also miss the structure of seeing people, but I think that could be a COVID thing as much as a retirement mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, retirement in the age of COVID is a real, really a extra challenge. What, what, what about play? What is, how do you play? What is play? <laughs> if, if I tell my family that, that I did this and then they hear it, I have, I have, I think I've told you, Catherine, I have these, male cousins through, that have boats and jet skis and, and what other, t- oh, pontoons and all, all kinds. Oh, one has a, oh, he has a membership in an airplane club. My cousins, my male cousins really know how to play. <laughs> and, and my sister and I joke, because she's a very hard worker, at, like, what did we miss? Why weren't they telling us girls, oh, okay, you've got you've to learn how to play here. Um, <laughs> for, for us, you know, and I'll, I'll I'll include my husband. It's for us. It's movies and theater and dinner with friends and and casual, very casual entertaining, which would be sitting on the porch uh, or the or on the deck in the back. Just just sort of being with people and mm-hmm. talking to them and hearing what they're all about. Um, house projects, but but not not play that involves big equipment you, know? you don't need an airplane <laughs> you don't need your own airplane no or boat or anything yeah. well is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners jill about your your own story or what you see for the future how you think about aging well i i think aging is a gift and i i lost a a classmate in her early 20s in college. And ever since that time, it was a tragic car accident. And ever since that time, I've thought, why do I get this time? And she didn't. So I've, I've always had that perspective. But I, I think, you know, we, we, we really want to make the most of the time that we have and, and mm-hmm. be grateful and just in, enjoy one another, even, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I have to admit 70 did get my attention. 
all the other <laughs> all the other zero birthdays were like whatever this is great okay let's get real now okay. but yeah. 70 is get let's get real and and you just you do have to be realistic about it so you want to use your time and your resources and and your energy in a way that is is suiting you as opposed to pleasing other people mm -hmm. or or taking care of other people frankly mm -hmm. you know you're allowed to to think about what what would suit you yes yeah very well said. And, uh, well, very well said and just one last one last question about in, in relation to that has that is that been easy or difficult for you to put yourself what suits you not just taking care of other people i think it's been an evolution i i think i, I real quickly i think there's this thing that kind of happens you know it, it, particularly for the time when I was in the business world. At, at first, I was like, I'm the youngest pe person in the room. I'm the only female in the room. And then over time, you're kind of in the middle. And then you look around and you say, I'm the oldest person in the room. And I'm certainly not the only woman. But, but as you get to go through those decades and acquire experience and confidence, you have, I have the ability to say, well, you know, they either like the idea or they don't. They're the they're either in we're in we're either in sync or we're not mm -hmm. and i i didn't have to be a pleaser at the end to mm -hmm. and there are, there are more crude ways of putting that uh i didn't have to be a <laughs> pleaser to to just feel good about my contribution mm -hmm. great yeah that's good. a very positive note to end on and and thank you uh, jill so much for being with us and thank you also for being such a, a great ambassador for women over 70. We really appreciate your, your efforts. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you for inviting me, of course. And, and you know, I am team women over 70. I, I really applaud what you're doing. I know how much work it is, but I, I really think it's a contribution that, that isn't coming from elsewhere. I, I think it's a, it's a unique thing. <laughs> thank you, Jill. Thank you. You are welcome. And listeners, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review wherever you listen. Also, visit our website, womenover70.com, and easily access all of our episodes. Become a member in the Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined Circle and enjoy programming beyond the podcast. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined.